stuff. I'm just like, you know what? We're just uh, we're just gonna dive right into this thing. That's gonna be a coat hanger until we get drum players. Yeah. <laughs> I always do that. Um. Uh, today's sermon is called. Um, whoa, that's the wrong sermon. I almost preached last week's sermon. <laughs> I had to. Uh, what do they call it when you? Oh, there it is. Refresh. When hope is on our side, that is actually today's sermon. And um, I, for those of you online, you got, you're not going to um, have the, oh, I'm not sure, they are going to have the scriptures. Uh, and those here, wow, I, that's exciting. Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to share to your people. I pray for our hearts and our minds, Lord God, as we came into this place to leave things outside that need to be outside those things are still going to be there regardless, Lord God, but right now we want to receive your word, and we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, when hope is on our side, I want to start with Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So as we kind of walk through this thing today, I just want you to remember what it is that the Lord is saying, that he has thoughts of peace and not of evil toward you. And I know a lot of times people hear that, but honestly, when we don't have a good week, maybe we did something out of character, maybe we're not acting right, we know we're not right with the Lord. We think that that means like God is just angry at us. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, he ain't smiling at you when you're doing something that you ain't supposed to, but he has thoughts of peace and not of evil towards you. In other words, a lot of times, instead of him beating you up, he's saying, what are you doing? That's not who you really are. Come on, get back up. He has thoughts of peace and not of evil because he wants to give you a future and hope. So the title, When Hope is on Our Side, is something I want to talk about, and I want to start off with saying that on Friday... Friday morning, we're at Grace International Church. Grace International has over 3,800 churches around the world. Most of them are not in the United States, which is why I like them. A lot of the churches are outside of the United States. There's only out of the 3,800 churches, maybe 300 are in the United States. All the rest are overseas in different, different continents. But we, have a we had a regional meeting. We do it about two or three times a year, all the pastors from the surrounding areas. Um, it's not that many of us in the northern region. Northern Cal, it's called NorCal. Uh, we have Modesto, obviously, ourselves, and Fairfield, Livermore, Tracy, Reno, and Stockton, and Redding. So those are the churches. The, the pastor from Redding wasn't, gonna, wasn't able to make it because his mother had passed away the night before. Uh, but all the other pastors were there. Um, Along with us, you know, Sharon was with us, Pastor Al was with us, we took Johnny and Diana with us, and they were able to go and sit. I wanted them to see um, kind of what it was like, to get a bigger picture of what it is that we're doing here. And um, usually we have a, a speaker, they fly in a speaker, they fly, fly somebody to speak, you know, um, whether it's, a, it's, it's somebody from a Bible college or a, another church or just different ministries, they bring somebody in. But this time, they didn't have a, a guest speaker, which I was happy about because it was, we haven't seen each other. We had no leadership conference. Every, at the end of the year, we had this huge leadership conference in Oceanside. That got canceled. We haven't had 
a meeting at all. There's only been a few talks between the pastors here and there through text, a few phone calls. Um, but I was glad they didn't have a guest speaker because it was about just us sharing each, each other's experiences going through this pandemic. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's very isolating and I don't know what's going on. So to hear what some of these pastors are, are going through, what they've done, what's happening, you know, with everything, all the way all, along with the, the signs and the shutdowns and, and streaming and all these things. And it was refreshing to me not to have a guest speaker, but for each of us to have our chance to speak to each other. And I, I felt that was very, very edifying for me, you know, and encouraging for me. And um, one of the times it came to me and, and the district superintendent, Pastor Scott out of Fairfield, he goes, hey, uh, Pastor David, he goes, can you share with us? He would give different questions to the different pastors. And this is the question he asked me. He says, can you share um, what place does the church have right now through this whole thing, through COVID, through the things, the upheaval and different things what place does the church have? What, what are we to do right now? And it didn't take me but a half a second to say I can sum it up in one word is hope. That's what the church is supposed to do right now. Hope. And I elaborated more upon that, but that's kind of like what this sermon title was already established on Wednesday. This meeting was Friday. I didn't yet know what I was going to preach about. I knew the title, but just kind of in sharing my heart and just how fast the word hope came to me, I realized a lot of, a lot of this, what I'm going to preach, came to my mind and my heart, and that's why I'm preaching it today. A definition of hope is this. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So let me say that. This is what hope means. It's a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. We hope good things for our children. We hope good things for our career or whatever it is. You know, so it's something that we have an expectation and a desire for that thing to happen, you know. And, and just think about this verse, the one that's up on the, on the screen. It says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So I'm like, Lord, so, so what you're telling us is that because you have good thoughts toward us and not evil thoughts toward us, you're doing this so we can have hope. That's what he wants. He wants us to have hope because when you have no hope, everything dies. You know, everything dies. So uh, we wanna, he wants us to have expectation. He wants us to have a desire to see things happen. And, and therefore, he says that to give us hope. Here's the problem, though. It seems the more I talk with people, it seems the longer I pastor a church, the less hope I see in the lives and in the minds of so many people. I almost want to say sometimes you talk to non-believers and they seem to have more hope than the Christian that's sitting in the church for years. Well, there's something wrong with that picture. There's something wrong, and maybe today's sermon will maybe shed light and have you reflect. I always pray that, that my sermons don't excite you to run the aisles but if you do praise god but what i want more is for you to go home and throughout the week reflect on this and and, and make it a part of your walk because that's longevity that's something that sticks 
You know, do we want to have uh, uh, services that excite you? Yes. But, but not at the sacrifice of instead giving you something solid that you can take as you walk through this Christian walk. You know, I think that's more important. The, 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 the feelings, the excitement, that should be secondary, not the first thing. Because what happens, if we base it on that, then, then what happens is I will shape sermons just to excite you, and you, you didn't learn anything. You just got excited. It's great to have both. But I have to choose. I'm going to choose to just deposit something in you that's going to allow you to, hit, to, to withstand the storms of life. So... I understand. Here's the thing, though. I understand if, if non-believers see no hope. I get it. I used to, when I was in the world, I saw no hope for my future. I thought I would end up uh, either in prison for life or with some bullets in my body. There was no hope in that. I, I would honestly say, man, I wonder if today's the day. Is today the day it happens? You know, and, um, but should the church talk like this? Or even worse, to have no hope? No, I, I don't think so. Does the church really feel this way, that, that the church has no hope? Because if we feel that we have no hope, then something's wrong. If we come to service, and I understand life hits us, situations happen, trauma happens, somebody gets in an accident, somebody got sick, you lose a job, and I understand sometimes coming in on Sunday and kind of being downtrodden, I get it because life happens no matter what. But if you're constantly in that state, then something's wrong in our walk. Something is wrong because if the Lord gives us hope and we aren't feeling hopeful, then either God is a liar or our perspective is wrong because he says he gives us hope. And if we're always hopeless, then either God is a liar, is God a liar? Or our perspective is wrong. You know, and, and here's the thing, right? I'm not talking about a cliche type of hope talk. How you doing, brother? Blessed, highly favored. I'm good. But inside, you're not feeling so good, and you don't feel so blessed. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about that cliche type of hope talk. I'm talking about, like, even through the storms as believers, like, like I'm talking about that in-your-gut hope, where you just feel it in your gut even when things are bad. See, if you're the type of flower that needs rain in order for you to bloom, but the moment the rain stops, you start to wither, there's a problem with that. But I'd rather be a tree that's rooted deep, whether it rains or not, that my roots are tapped into Christ. So those are two types of Christians, two types of believers. You know, you don't want to be, and I understand in, in, in the, a, 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 baby, a baby has to eat every few hours. That's normal for a baby. But if you're a believer and you constantly need to be in fellowship, be in this, be in that, I'm going to say, man, are your roots not deep? What happens if there was no believers around you? What happens if every church happened to shut down? Because that happened. Are your roots deep enough? So if hope means a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen, then certainly we need to feel expectation and desire. For instance, 
those of you that are married, you, you should feel an expectation and a desire for your marriage. It, it, it should be smooth sailing. Expectation and desire for, for your finances, it should be smooth sailing. Expectation and desire for ministry or children, politics, politicians that you voted for. But here's the problem. There is no hope in most people's minds when they think of these things. You feel it just getting worse. My wallet's getting thinner. Marriage falling apart, money getting tighter, car breaking down, job as a new manager, he's a jerk, worst manager in the world. Laws are being passed that I hope would things would get better, but actually those laws are going to make things worse. So where's the hope? God, where's the hope that you said that you said that that you're not going to have evil toward me and, and, and you have good thoughts toward my future and hope. God, where's this hope? Because I don't see it. You know, Jesus had a cousin named John. And people called him John the Baptist. Most of you have heard about him. He would go around baptizing. And um, he had thousands of people, guys, flock to him every day. Every day. If you read the story in the Bible that Jesus was actually a cousin of John the Baptist, and Mary was a cousin to Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, that when Mary came into the room and Elizabeth was pregnant with John, the baby did a flip in the presence of Jesus, even though Jesus wasn't yet born yet. Interesting, law says he was, he's not a human yet, but yet two babies right there acknowledge each other. But that's a whole other sermon, right? But John the Baptist grew up far, far from Jesus. It wasn't like they could get on the internet or, or messenger or take a drive. So they grew up far apart nevertheless. And he had thousands of people. He, he grew up to be a preacher. He had, he had, he was a Levite. Meaning he should have been a priest. We know that because his father was a priest. So we know that. But he grew up and kind of did his own thing. He goes, I don't want the mega church. I'm just going to go preach at the taco trucks. And he just started preaching. He didn't John the Baptist. Didn't, didn't, he was just going to say things. He was going to say things straight. And thousands of people began to come to him. Multitudes came flocking to him every single day. Just to hear him preach. I wonder if there was, was there a certain way that he spoke? He spoke a certain way, something that would cause the, 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 the hearts to stir in the men and the women that, that heard him speak. Maybe they had never heard someone speak like that before because long were the days of Jeremiah, long were the days of Elijah and Elisha, long were the days and all of a sudden John the Baptist comes and he spoke such a way that you, you, you had to go to hear him. His preaching maybe would cause them to self-reflect to the point that after he would preach, after he gave his sermon, people would rush for him to baptize them 
So he says, you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And he, his preaching and his sermons probably stirred the people so much, brought so much conviction, made them reflect themselves so much that they couldn't wait to get to the waters for baptism. It got to the point where he couldn't baptize everyone, so he started raising up leaders. See, a lot of times we, think, we see the disciples of Jesus not realizing all teachers had disciples. Disciples just meant students. That's all it meant. So John the Baptist had disciples. He had students. So John realized that this was a great work that God was calling him to do, and so many people were being baptized. He can baptize only so many people. So he started raising up students, so they were all baptizing people for the remission of their sins. I mean, can you imagine a revival that much that no matter what, you were just baptizing and preaching all day long? There was no, oh, see you Sunday at 10 until about 11.30 or so. Every single day, preaching, baptizing, preaching, baptizing, preaching. And it wouldn't finish. The lines wouldn't finish. Can you imagine what it was like? So many of us have seen people, those of you that are older now, have seen, you know, the crusades of Billy Graham, the crew, massive crusades. Can you imagine the time of John the Baptist? Where people were just lining up. To repent. His preaching, his evangelism was fire. You know, and um, he even got the attention of high official politicians. He was so known and so well known, he started getting the attention of, of high-ranking politicians, even King Herod himself. This was kind of crazy because King Herod liked to hear John the Baptist preach, which is weird because he was in a relationship with his brother's wife. So he was living wrong. But yet he liked to hear there was something, maybe there was something soothing about the sermons of John the Baptist. So regardless of, the, of, the, of how he was living himself, he loved to hear that word. I'm curious and I wonder, just kind of a side note to myself, is I wonder, did King Herod, like, did he put uh, a cover over his face? Like, he couldn't go in there as king to listen to the sermons. Like, I'm just wondering as I'm just sitting up here, I wonder if he went kind of undercover just to hear the sermons. It's an interesting thought, you know, but like I said, John had, had raised up disciples, had raised up students, and, and they were helping him minister to the people. You know, Jesus, at this time, we know that he didn't start his ministry till he was 30 years old. We understand why, because if you look back in the Old Testament, even the priests, the, Le the Levitical priesthood, wouldn't, they couldn't become a priest until they were 30 years old. They weren't allowed to minister until they were 30 years old. That way they were, they were, they were more mature. They, were, they had more wisdom. They had been poured into. And at 30 years old, Jesus understood that he was about to start his ministry. So John the Baptist is out there preaching, right? And he would say things like this. He would say, you guys think that this sermons are good? You guys 
believe this, he goes, but man, uh, I'm nobody. He goes, I'm just paving the way for somebody. He goes, yeah, I might baptize you with water, but the one that's coming will baptize you in fire in the Holy Ghost. And he would tell them constantly, matter of fact, he was the one that, he was, you come to hear me, but the one that is coming, I'm not even worthy to even carry his shoes. You got to understand that that's what slaves did at that time. So he's like, I'm not even worthy to even be his slave, the one that's coming. And he was always, always preaching about repentance and the Messiah is coming. Repentance and the Messiah is coming. Getting them ready, paving the way. And this is all, uh, we know that we understand that Old Testament says that prophecy says that somebody would come to pave the way for the Messiah. But he would say these things all the time, constantly telling his students, hey, man, I'm raising you guys up, man, but somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a hype man. That's all I am. That's all I am. But the one that's coming, he's coming. Kind of sounds like today. So many people are tired of hearing the pastor and evangelist say Jesus is coming again. And we're just like, ah, whatever. We heard that many times. They heard it many times, too, that he was coming. Until the day came that he came. But he would always say that. You think I'm someone, the one, come, the one that comes after me, I'm not even worthy. In another translation, it says, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. Or his sandals. Look at this. There's another verse. Oh, that screen's not on. It changed? Yeah. Matthew 7, 11. John the Baptist says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I don't know why, man, but every time I read that verse, like something stirs in me. Nobody carried nobody's sandals in those days but a slave. But one day, nothing special about that day, any other day, he's out there preaching. Thousands of people are out there. People are being baptized. His disciples and his students are baptizing people. Just like every day, like all the days melted into each other. I'm guessing he would baptize people from the morning until the sun went down. Just baptizing people, baptizing people. Because I think that John the Baptist felt, he felt that, that he was coming, coming soon. People were gathered on that day. He had just probably preached an amazing, amazing sermon that caused people to rush to the water once again. I imagine there it is again, him preaching. When he saw the multitudes come, he would, boom, he'd drop it and say, who wants to be baptized right now? And they would always the same rush of people every single day. And I'm wondering if that day maybe it was, a, it was more people than normal. To the point that he was baptizing people and baptizing people. He's looking, his students are baptizing people. And they see a, still see a long line. The long's not in. He's bat, it got to the point where he's not even looking around. He's just baptizing. He's just like, all right, come on next. Come on. Let's baptize you. Okay, come on next. So busy that day. So many people lined up that he hardly even had the chance to even look around. He needed to get them baptized. So many of them. 
I mean, he could have been baptized and his arms could have been tired. Lord, please give me strength, Lord. Look at all these people, Lord God. They need you, Lord God. Give me strength to baptize one more. Give me strength to baptize one more. My back hurts. My arm hurts. My feet are cold. Lord, just one more. Let me baptize more of them, Lord God. But there's such a long line. The people's faces were blurred to him. He didn't even remember their faces. If he saw them an hour later, he wouldn't even know he had baptizing them because it was so busy, so many people, so many people needed to repent for their sins. But all of a sudden, somebody walks up. He doesn't even know why. He didn't even understand why. Just somebody walked up next and he was going to grab them and something in him maybe shook. And something, something made him look up. His heart did a leap. He almost lost his breath. He didn't know if he should shout or cry. He felt his knees begin to buckle and his hands began to shake. And he realized he was looking into the eyes of Jesus. I don't know what that moment was like. I don't even know if all the throngs of people even noticed. But he found himself right then and there. Everybody disappeared. Everything went away. All his thoughts, all his worries, everything swept away. And all he could see is these eyes that just burned right through his soul. Standing in line, in his line to be baptized, was Jesus. Look what this verse says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John, John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you're coming to me? <sighs> I know who you are. I know who you are. It's like he gave them this look. Maybe he didn't even say it, but they both knew what that look was. I know who you are. You need to baptize me. I can't baptize you. I can't even carry your sandals. Imagine the honor of that. And Jesus had said something to the words of, I need to be baptized because... Prophecy needs to be fulfilled. He was about to start his ministry. And John baptized Jesus because it needed to be fulfilled. And that was the kickstart of his ministry. I almost wish I could see that moment. I almost wish I could know what, what was John thinking? What were people thinking? What was he feeling? Baptizing the Savior. Wow. I imagine, I want, I imagine his, his disciples baptizing, baptizing, and then they see this little interaction go on. Did they look? They're like, what's John doing? What happened? And maybe his arms are too tired. What's going on here? When Jesus walks away and he calls his disciples, he goes, come here, guys, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. See that one walking? Yeah. Behold the Lamb of God. 
who takes away the sins of the world. He's, you need to follow him now. I need you to follow him because I have to, I have to decrease so he can increase. And the scriptures say that his disciples probably puzzled, probably confused, but they understood John. They knew that he meant it. They, there was something about John and the way that he looked at Jesus that they just slowly walked away and followed after Jesus. And there's John. Ready to give up his entire ministry. Because he came to pave the way. He didn't come to compete. Ready to give up his ministry. Gave up his students. Stepped back from the limelight so Jesus could shine. John was never the star of the show. He always understood that. He wasn't the headliner. The headliner had just arrived. And the world was never going to be the same again. I don't know what happened to the ministry of John from that day forward. I don't know if it stopped right there or I don't know if he kept going but it slowly dwindled away because when we read the gospels we see that the the more Jesus was healing people, the more Jesus was teaching, the more more and more people were following him. Thousands would follow him. Everywhere Jesus was, there was thousands upon thousands of people following him. So I imagine that the bigger the group got around Jesus, the smaller the group got around John. But you know what? John was okay with it because he understood his place. He understood his lane. He understood his mission. His mission was to usher in the way for the king. But here's the thing. When we fast forward a little bit. Remember I said King Herod, he liked to hear John preach. But King Herod's wife, really his brother's wife, hated John. Because John the Baptist had no problem calling out sin for sin. And he would just yell it at the top of his lungs of what King Herod was doing. And King Herod, he was moved. He would be convicted. But the wife, her, her heart would just made harder and harder. She hated that man. And she, she caused her husband to throw John into prison. And there's John in a dirty, cold cell. I wonder if he thought of all the crowds of people, all the people, everyone that wanted to be baptized, and now he's in this cold cell, no one following after him. No crowds of people. He kept hearing stories of Jesus being followed by crowds and and he's like, man, you know what? I, I get it. Praise God. But I didn't know maybe it was going to end like this. Everyone forgot about me. Sitting in a cold, damp, dark prison. 
There's no electricity then. And when you're in a dark place, the, the days melt into each other. You don't even know if it's midnight or 5 in the morning. You don't know if it's Tuesday or Thursday. And the days just melt into each other. And he's just sitting there. All he has are his thoughts. All he has are his memories. That's all that he has. He longs to see sunlight. He, he prays in the darkness, hoping for just a, a little bit of light to come through the cracks so he can just see something. He's just there. Face encrusted with tears of anguish. Stomach growling for something nutritious. And nobody's there. Maybe after many days or weeks or months, I, I don't know, but his old disciples, they said, hey, uh, we, we better go see John. So disciples went to see John pulled them out for a visit, or maybe they let him in the cell. I don't know how they used to do it back then. And the one man, their teacher, the one man that had a powerful voice, the one man that thousands of people came to, now he just looks like a broken man. It looks like he had aged by 20 or 30 years. Broken. They didn't even understand who this was anymore. Where's the confident John the Baptist? All they saw was a withered, broken man. He used to have a strong, powerful voice when he would preach out in the Jordan. Now, maybe because of the cold cell or whatever reason, his, his voice was hoarse. He could barely even talk loud anymore. I don't know what kind of comforting words they gave him. I, I don't know what they said, but... He asked them a question. In his shame, he says, uh, hey guys, I, I need you to do something, please. This is, this is too much for me to take. This is too much to bear. This is hard to be in here. I, I, I don't know what to do, but um, ask him this question. Yes, teacher, what? Ask him, is he the one? Or am I looking for somebody else? This man that had so much hope. This man that would preach like a lion. The man that pointed at Jesus said, behold the Lamb of God. He's the one that will take away the sins of the world. Follow after him. Now he's broken. Questioning his own thoughts. Questioning his own decisions. Questioning his own discernment. Could you please ask Jesus, is he the one? Because I'm suffering. And if he's not the one, what am I suffering for? Ask him, is he the one? Or do I seek someone else? You know, it's, a, it's, it's crazy because... I'll tell you in a minute. The disciples went over there where Jesus was at. They came to him, and I don't know where they were. They pulled Jesus to the side. They said, Jesus, we, we went to visit John. I imagine Jesus was like, hey, man, what's he saying? How's the brother doing? Well... Um, I, I, I don't, Lord, I don't know, how to, I don't know how to ask you this, so I'm just gonna verbatim repeat what he said, Lord. Um, he, uh, he wants us to ask if you're the one, 
Or does he seek someone else? See, if Jesus would have been in the flesh, like sometimes we get, we'll be like, man, what are you talking about, man? What are you talking about? God called me. I got the calling. I got the anointing. What do you mean, man? You know what? Quit visiting that dude. All he's doing is spreading poison to you, blah, 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 this and that. We're going to get in the flesh. But Jesus didn't get in the flesh because Jesus was always in the spirit. And what did Jesus say? Look at, look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said to them, mm. he goes, oh, go and tell John the things that you hear and see, that the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who was not offended because of me. He didn't even directly answer him. He didn't even say, oh, yeah, tell him, yeah, I'm the one. I'm the one he's looking for. No, he says, you know what? Go tell him everything you're seeing. Tell him the people that are sick ain't sick anymore. Tell him the people that were lost ain't lost anymore. You tell him that. And I love the way he ends it. Blessed is he who was not offended because of me. That was a blessing unto John because John felt completely broken and lost. Maybe he felt like, man, what did I do this for? And the Lord said, you're blessed because people are offended because you stood up for me. And then he still doesn't talk down on him a few verses later in verse 11. Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, after that, after these disciples say that to him, there's a whole crowd of people. And maybe they heard. And the last thing he wanted for is anybody to talk bad about John. Can you imagine? He's in prison. He's suffering. Other people hear this. You know how hearsay goes. All of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, man, John's weak. Oh, man, John this. Oh, man, John that. Jesus says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before this gets any further, assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. He's like, Jesus, like, man, I'm going to set this record straight. There is no prophet greater than John the Baptist. He who was least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Hmm. Jesus, like, I'm going to set this straight because you know what? I'm going to let them know that even the mightiest ones can sometimes lose hope. But here's the thing, right? The enemy will speak to you on your past and your failures. But the Holy Ghost will speak to you your rightful place. You're sitting there in the crack house. And the enemy comes, man, see, you weren't a Christian, you fake Christian. Sitting there all drunk in a, somewhere in an alley somewhere. See, the devil comes, man, you ain't nothing. You would never be nothing. See, that's the, that God would never talk to you like that. The Lord will come and say, what are you doing? This ain't where you belong. There's a higher place for you. Come on. Get up. I can't get up. It's all right. Then I'll carry you. That's the difference. Sometimes we think it's, it, it's, it, we feel condemned. And I want to tell you right now, it is not the Holy Ghost that condemns. It's the Holy Ghost that speaks life and brings life. And it's the same thing. You don't think that they went back. Hey, John, we talked to Jesus. Yeah, I went. go ahead, tell me he's not the one. Go ahead. 
No, no, you got to hear this, John. You got to hear this. Let your heart, let your heart be filled with life again, John. We went up to him. There was a bunch of people around him. Yeah? And, and he said, well, he didn't answer your question directly, but he said, go tell you that the people are being healed and people are getting saved and the blind are seen and the dead are waking up. John, it is him. He's the one. You were right, John. You were right. And John was like, really? Really? So I'm not suffering for nothing. I'm not going through this for nothing. No matter of fact, John, you know what he said about you? Man, there must have been 10,000 people around him. Do you know what he said about you? What did he say? Oh, this is going to blow your mind, John. He told everyone that you are the greatest prophet to have ever walked this earth. All of a sudden, he felt some wind on his back. He got up from his little corner and got up. Really? He said that? He said that about me? He didn't forget about me? No, he didn't forget about you, man. He says you were the greatest. And soon after that, John was beheaded. They took his head off. But I know this, and I know some of us, I pray most of us, will meet John the Baptist someday. And on our, he's, we're going to have eternity in heaven, so we're going to have time. But like, John, man, can we have a burrito at a heaven's taco stand over there? Yeah. Well, I mean, they have honey, too. So I know you like honey. So come on, I like honey, too. The Bible says he ate honey. I ate honey. I just ate some honey this morning. And we're going to sit there, order carne asada, some queso and crema on there, cilantro. Some lemon. John's going to be like, what do you want to say to me, David? Oh, I just have a question, man. I, I, I get it, man. I, I get it. I, I get that you were down. I, man, I've been there, bro. I've been in solitary, so I get it. I understand what it's like to lose hope. I said, but man, when they came back and told you everything that Jesus said about you, this is my question. When they finally took you to take your head off, Were you broken? Was your back straight? And I almost know what he's going to tell me. He's going to say, had they taken my head off before I got the news of what the Lord said about me, they would have killed a broken man. He goes, but you know what? When I went there, I had my back straight because I know who Jesus spoke into my life about. I know who he says I am. I know he's the one that's going to take the sins of the world. I know everything that God has called me to do, even though I'm in a dark situation now. They can take my head off. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you know what? To be absent of this body is to be present with him anyways. I win. I win. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet to ever walk this earth, and he lost hope. So why do you tear yourselves down if you lose hope? I'm saying that to everyone here, or those of you that are watching online. You know what? It is normal. You are human. You're going to lose hope sometimes, but you got to open the word and let him speak into your life. you got to let him speak into your life. you got to do it. 
This part we skipped. We didn't skip it, but I want to look what it says here. It says, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater. He says, you're the greatest. But look what he says to us, those that believe in Jesus. But he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You know what that means? That means John the Baptist was the greatest prophet to ever walk the earth. But those of you that have given your life to the Lord and now belong to the kingdom of God are even greater than him. Whoo! Whoo! Man. This is not an excuse that you can lose hope. But if you do, please know and understand that Jesus doesn't lose hope in you. Jesus, I need to say that. Jesus does not lose hope in you. Even if you run away from him like Jonah did, he does not lose hope in you. Even if you have thoughts of going back to your old life in the time of weakness, in the time of trauma, things happen to your life and you find yourself back in the place where you were in the beginning, I'm telling you, Jesus does not lose hope in you. He does not lose hope in you. What he says is going to happen. He says, if earth and heaven pass away, my words will never pass away. This is what he says. We don't put hope on earthly things because those things will someday go away. Houses break down, cars break down, money comes, money goes, life comes, life goes Health comes and health goes. When you put your hope in those things, you're always going to have a broken heart all the time. That is why, as Christians, we're walking around with no hope because we're looking at the wrong thing. We're like, man, there's no hope. My car broke down. There's no hope. I can't pay my mortgage. There's no hope. My husband wants to leave me. My wife wants to leave me. My kids hate me. Whatever it is, you know, man, there's no hope. And here's the thing. Here's the problem. Because you're saying, well, either Jesus is a liar or my perspective is wrong. Remember I said in the beginning? So if you're walking around as a Christian with no hope, I'm telling you, your perspective is wrong. is because you're putting your hope on the other things than on the one that gives hope. On the one that is hope. That is why. That is why. You put your hope in those things and they're going to break your heart. But look what First Peter says. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You know what that means? Those of you that have been locked up, that means get suited and booted. It's riot time. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me say that more clearly, man. Don't put your hope in the things. Don't even put the hope in your spouse. They will let you down too. Don't put the hope in your money. Don't put the hope in your career or even in your health. Don't put your hope in that. You rest your hope. You know what rest means? Right? You rest something. If I have a really heavy suitcase and I rest it on the table, that's what it is saying. Put all of your chips, put everything and rest your hope fully. Not some of it. Not part of it. Not a quarter of it. Put your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ has been revealed to you.
That is the hope right there. Put all your chips in right there. Wherever Jesus is, Lord God, I hope you can carry this because I got a whole load of coming and I get all my problems. I'm just going to give them to you. He said, bring them. Bring them. You think that scares me? Bring it on. I got a whole mountain though, Lord. I got a whole mountain. He's like, that's all right, man. I got a Grand Canyon of hope ready for you. Come on, just bring it in. Bring it in. Next verse and last verse. Colossians 3, 1-2. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Okay. I've been raised in Christ, Lord. Now what? He goes, you need to seek what's above because you, you keep dwelling on this stuff down here, you're going to get tripped up. You need to seek the things which are above where, where I am at, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. If you're a Christian walking around with no hope, then maybe you're looking around too much. You're looking, uh, um, what's the word? Horizontally and not vertically. We live this life and we're, all we see is what's around us. But scripture says, that, that's why I'm saying, Jesus is not a liar. It's our perspective. We're walking around trying to do this Christian thing, looking at all these situations, and you know what? This stuff looks hopeless. When I look at our nation, it looks hopeless. When I look at our cities, it looks hopeless. When I look at situations, it looks hopeless. And, and, and so it, it sounds contradicting, but it's not that. It's our perspective. Jesus says the whole time, you got to seek above, seek after me. That's where I'm at. Why are you looking at everything else? You need to look at me. You're looking at everything else, looking at all your problems. What, are those things your God? Those things can't help you. I'm the only one that can help you. Why are you looking at other things? They can't break the chains. They can't set you free. But I am freedom. I am life. I'm the one that can do all those things. Why are you looking at these other things? Look unto me and set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. This title of this message is when hope is on our side, right? This only applies when you know who your hope is. The only time hope will be on your side is when you know who hope is. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Hope is not in something. Hope is someone. Hope is not in your job, your career, your health, your spouse, or your church. Hope is not in your ministry. Hope is in Jesus. And when Jesus is on your side, which he is, then hope is by default on your side. And if somebody's watching this and you have not given your life to the Lord, you can come up if you want. If you're watching this and you have not given your life to the Lord and you feel no hope, let me tell you right now that the hope of glory can come into your life right now. Here's the beautiful thing about it is that it's free. It's not free because it's cheap. It's free because he paid the high cost that you and I couldn't pay. I would say this, that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. And maybe somebody's watching. Maybe the title caught somebody. Maybe there's somebody right now, you're suicidal. You are just completely broken, and you think that you have no hope. And I'm telling you, if you focus your eyes up and not the things that are around you, then hope will be on your side. And all you got to do is surrender your life to the Lord. 
And this is what I mean. This, this, there's not a set prayer. I know people like to do that and say, oh, uh, repeat after me the Lord's Prayer. There's no such thing in the Bible. There's no such thing. But what there is is the Bible says that you confess in your heart and that believe and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and say with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you shall be saved. That's what the scriptures say. And that is a beautiful thing because that means somebody that's mute and can't talk, they can surrender their life to the Lord too because it's not about what you speak. It's what your heart is screaming out. You know, my own dad that's sitting right here, he came to the Lord. And he's like, Lord God, I don't, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And the Lord understood that because he knows the hearts of men and women. Just those words, I'm tired. And the Lord understood everything. And he breathed life into my father. The Bible says he takes out your heart of stone and he puts it in a heart, a heart of flesh. And, and if that weren't enough, he said, I will put my spirit upon you. I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for him. There's times in my life where I lost all hope. There's times in my life as a Christian, there's times in my life as a pastor that I lost all hope. But I shake it off. I shake it off and I open the word. And maybe I don't have two disciples from John come up to me and say, hey, do you know what Jesus said about you? But I have something better because I have the Bible. And the Lord says, you can do all things through God who strengthens you. He says, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things you never thought of. And I'm not looking down because I'm reading scripture. I'm just telling you what the word says. The scripture says, man. Over and over and over, he gives us life. He breathes life. He has new thoughts for us. He has good thoughts toward us. He says he's your God and your Savior. He says, I will break the chains. Whatever it is that's holding you back from me, he says, I will break those chains. I will break the chains of alcohol. I'll break the chains of addiction. I'll break the chains of depression. I'll break the chains of, uh, of suicide. I'll break the chains of violence. I'll break the chains. I will crush every demon that will stop you from coming to me. Because he is the hope and the glory. He's the author and finisher of our faith. So I will live my life looking unto him. Because when I look down, I get all tripped up. Lord, I will follow after you. I will seek after you. People tell me, man, it's too hard to be a Christian. I said, no, it's too hard down here. Lift up your chin and look to him. Because when you can see him, then you will walk through this thing. And you will make it and you will do it. Go ahead, man. Let's all stand. We're going to take a moment. Hallelujah. Make right with God if you need to make right Turn with Him. Hallelujah. Listen to these words. Jesus. Praise you. Altar's open if you want to come. You can pray from your row, you can pray from your seats, you can come to the front.
counting on your grace again. Less of me and more of you. Less of me and more of you, Lord. I just want to see you. I just want to see you move in my life, Lord.
He wants to start a new season in your life. He wants to something to shift in your life. Twenty twenty one belongs to him. And maybe through these last months we felt like John. Wondering, questioning, not understanding, a little broken than we were in 2019, these last few months, and maybe broken us down a little bit. But I truly believe he's coming into this place and this building, and those of you that are watching online, and he's telling you, listen, I know how it looks, but you know what? There's people out there that are being raised from the dead. There's people out there being cured of cancer. There's people out there being cured of COVID. There's people out there being cured of diabetes. There's new lives coming before the Lord. There is new baptisms that are happening. Demons are being cast out of people. God is still working. He never stopped. Jesus never takes breaks. He ain't on vacation. He's still in the life-changing business. COVID has shut a lot of things down, but heaven didn't get shut down. The kingdom of God did not get shut down. He's still seeking. He's still calling out.
There's so many people here that God has set you free. Whatever it is that the, that the enemy had chains wrapped around you, God has set you free. Yes, he has. But I want to say this. Many of us, those chains fell off of us. And you're free. But they're still at your feet. The chains are still at your feet. And this is what, whatever, your, whatever, whatever your stuff was, whatever your addiction was, whatever your stuff was, is wrapped right now around your feet. It's broken off of you. Oh, but it's there. And the devil every day tries to tell you to put them back on. But you know what? I don't want these chains around me anymore. Who doesn't want those chains around you anymore? Even though they're broken off, I don't want a constant reminder of these chains. And I want you to close your eyes and the Lord is standing right in front of you. Do you see him? Maybe you can see his face. Maybe there's too much light. Maybe you can't see his face. Maybe all you see is feet. Maybe you see the holes of the nails on his feet. But he's standing right in front of you. And he says this to you. I broke those chains off of you. But now, I want you to pick them up and hand them to me. And I will take those chains and throw them in the deepest part of the ocean. I don't know if you got to lean down. I'm picking up my chains. They're in my hand, Lord. And he's stretching out his beautiful hands towards you. And he says, once you hand me these chains, they're gone forever. Stretch your hand out and give them the chains. Here, Lord. Here, Lord. Here, Lord. Here, Lord. Here, Lord. Take these chains, Lord. I don't want them anymore. I don't want to look at them anymore, Lord. And he takes the chains from you for them never to come back again. They will never come back again. They will never come back again. I declare healing in this place right now in Jesus' name. Healing of the heart and healing of the mind, Lord. Take those chains, Lord. Oh, man, I just saw an army of angels come and take the chains from his hand. And they're rushing to the deepest part of the ocean right now. And now your hands are empty. And now his hands are empty. And he opens his arms wide. And he says, come to me, all who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And he's wrapping his arms around you right now. You were my son and my daughter. You were lost, but now you are found. And no one will pluck you out of my hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's give him a hand. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of lords. He's a redeemer. He's the chain breaker. 
He's the light. He's the shepherd. He's the good, good father, the alpha, the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the king of all kings. He is sovereign. He is God and his name is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. How many of you felt that? Man, I just handed him chains I didn't even realize are still on my ankles. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that, that the Lord brought healing to somebody that is watching this, somebody that is here right now. He wants to stand in the gap for Ricardo that's in ICU right now in the name of Jesus. That I can't lay hands on Ricardo, but I can lay hands on Joe and he's standing in the gap. So I put my hand on your chest where his lungs are. In Jesus' mighty name. We pray for those lungs to clear up right now in the name of Jesus. COVID, we come against you in the name of Jesus. You don't scare him. You don't scare him. Right now, we declare his lungs to be cleared right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Not only on him, but his wife too that has COVID also, Lord. We declare healing in that hospital. Matter of fact, Lord, we declare healing on that entire wing in the hospital right now. Send a thousand angels to that place right now and touch every person that is affected by COVID. Touch everyone affected by cancer in that place. Lord, we declare Merced Hospital to be empty by today in the name of Jesus. For a Holy Ghost explosion right now. In Jesus' name. This is for you, Ricardo. This is for you, brother. This is for you, brother. In Jesus' name. Do you care healing? Jesus. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Amen. God bless all of you. Have a great Valentine's Day. And here's the thing. Whether you're married or single, he's your Valentine. And it don't get no better than that. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord a hand one more time. Thank you for those of you that are watching online. God bless you too.